Gentlemen, my dear freshmen, I'd like to start by asking you to take out your homework assignment that you guys did for me, and that by now you probably uploaded to me, hopefully. I just want to go over the homework, and so if you did a good job on your homework, then you can just consider this supplementary to what you've already learned. So let's start with question number one. All these questions really are continuing with the theme of baptism. Number one says, what does it mean when we say that baptism is indelible? Indelible means that once you're baptized, you cannot be unbaptized. When you're baptized, it's like being branded. God has his mark on you. And <clears throat> once you're baptized, that can never be taken away. It also means once a Catholic, always a Catholic, even if you were to leave the Catholic Church and say, I want nothing to do with this, still, on a spiritual level, you are baptized. So take that, all you atheists out there who are unhappy about being Catholic. Um, it, it, I kind of liken it to leaving your family. Like, let's say that you abandon your family <coughs> and you move to a far-off land somewhere and you change your name and everything. Well, you can do all those things, but you still belong to the family. They still are your family. You have just estranged yourself from that family. And so it is with the Catholic Church. You, you, can, you can leave the faith, but you're still baptized. Now, but that's a very positive thing because baptism, as I mentioned last time, is the door to all the other sacraments, which means that if you ever want to come back, the door is open since you're already baptized. You can come back, probably go straight to confession, you know, repent, and the church, as God the Father did in the parable of the prodigal son, He'll, he'll uh, welcome you with open arms. And let me see. Oh, also, because baptism is indelible, that once you're baptized, you're simply baptized. Baptism is not something that can be repeated. So let's say that a Catholic was baptized as a baby. He later leaves the Catholic faith. And somewhere down the line, he meets up with a bunch of Protestants who don't believe that infant baptism is valid, and they decide to rebaptize him. Well, while it is true that Catholics do accept the validity of Protestant baptism, since in such a case, a person was already baptized as an infant, the so-called second baptism really does not impart any grace at all, okay? So if you're a Catholic who was baptized as a baby and later on you get quote-unquote re-baptized, re that second baptism really sacramentally nothing happens because only the first one sort of sticks. So the second baptism really is uh, just an, it's a gesture of some kind, but it's not a sacrament. All right, uh, speaking of sacraments that cannot be repeated. Let's kind of go through the sacraments. Um, baptism, 
cannot be repeated. Confirmation cannot be repeated. Uh, Eucharist, well, that is a sacrament that is definitely repeatable. Confession, thank God, is repeatable because we need to go back and back over and over again. Anointing of the sick also is a sacrament that you may receive more than once in your life. Anointing of the sick is a sacrament that you receive if you are gravely ill in some way. And a person can be gravely ill more than once. Marriage. Yes, it's repeatable. Um, say, for example, your spouse dies. Now you can get married again in the church. So you may receive that sacrament once again. And then priesthood. Uh, the sacrament of priesthood is not repeatable. Did I say the sacrament of priesthood? I should have said the sacrament of holy orders. Because the sacrament of holy orders is not only priesthood, it's also the diaconate, the episcopate, and the presbyterate, which is the priesthood. So holy orders is priest, deacon, or bishop. Once you are ordained, once you are ordained to one of these three, you are ordained for life. And so therefore, that also may not be repeated. Okay. According to number three, according to Catholic doctrine, is baptism necessary for salvation? Well, in your homework assignment, I hope you put down yes, because we definitely believe that it is necessary for salvation. I don't know if you guys find this shocking or not, but it is necessary for salvation. And there's plenty of scriptural evidence to support it, and I just want to focus on a couple of different ones. The first one being the one that you certainly have come across by now, which is in the Gospel of St. John. In chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus is having a conversation with a certain man named Nicodemus. And actually, let's start with verse 3 of that chapter, 3.3. 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus and said to him, Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a person, once grown old, be born again? Surely he cannot re-enter his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Wow, Nicodemus, what an image. Anyway, in verse 5, Jesus says, Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven without being born of water and spirit. Water and spirit. No one, I mean, can it be any plainer than that? No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. So, therefore, baptism is necessary for salvation. Um, so you might be wondering, well, hold on, Mr. Baczynski, are you saying that, therefore, everybody who's not baptized goes to hell? Well, I would not quite be so hasty either, okay? It is true that we're supposed to get baptized by water, and that is the ordinary way. That is the normative way that we receive the grace of friendship with God, as I mentioned last time. Um, however, God is not a jerk. Okay, and so the church recognizes that, yes, baptism is necessary for salvation, but the church also recognizes three different kinds of baptism, as you saw in your homework assignment. 
You have baptism by water, which is the baptism that we all know and love. But then you also have baptism by blood. And what is baptism by blood? Let me explain to you the historical basis for this. In the early church, if you wanted to become a Christian, it isn't like today where you take, um, you take a bunch of classes you know, for maybe a year and then you get received at Easter time with baptism. In the early church, it was a lot stricter than this. Um, in the, first of all, a person preparing for baptism, preparing to become a Catholic, is known as a catechumen. A catechumen. Um, and y you probably know about the catechism, okay? So a catechumen is someone who is learning. And so in addition to preparing yourself with your knowledge, a catechumen back in those days in the early church, I'm talking here the first few centuries, you had to actually live your life in a holy manner. You had to prove that you really want to live as a Christian. And this could take several years. Okay, so you could wait, you know, three, four years before becoming baptized. The problem is that also in the early church at that time, you had a lot of persecution of Christians. I'm talking about the Roman government at the time. And so the Roman government would line up the Christians and if you expressed that you were a Christian and you didn't want to take it back or repudiate your faith, you would get killed. Now, they were not the only ones who would get killed. Sometimes catechumens would get killed as well. So, this killing, by the way, is known as martyrdom. So when you die for your faith, you are known as a martyr. So imagine that. Imagine a Roman soldier approaches a catechumen and says, are you a Christian? He'll say, well, no, not yet, but I'm preparing to be, and I believe in Jesus, and I want to be a Christian. Oh, okay, well, a Roman soldier says, that's good enough for me to kill you. So how about you renounce, sorry, you renounce Christ right now, and I'll call off the killing. And what if the catechumen says, nope, I love Jesus, I, am, I want to be one with Jesus, and I refuse to worship the Roman gods. I refuse to worship the emperor. Well, anyway, so that catechumen gets killed. So what is Jesus on Judgment Day supposed to do with such a person? Is he supposed to say to the catechumen who is standing before him, Jesus in his judgment seat, and Jesus says to him or her, you died rather, rather than renounce my name. However, technically you weren't baptized by water, so go to hell. Okay? Now, does that sound reasonable? Does that sound like something that God would do? The answer is no. And so therefore, guys, yes, strictly speaking, on paper, officially, Water baptism is the way that we all get saved. But in the case of these catechumens, and the church recognized this pretty early on, in the case of these catechumens, um, they didn't get the chance to get baptized, but they desired to be baptized. And they died for Christ. 
They died for the faith. So that has to have some value. And so therefore, it is said that these people, rather than being baptized by water, they were baptized by blood. They shed their blood for Jesus. And in doing so, they received the same sacramental grace as someone who received water baptism. Okay. And then you have baptism by desire. If you did your homework, then you probably already understand this concept. Um, all right, so I told you that in the early church, they came across this theological problem that water, baptiz water baptism is what's necessary for salvation, and yet you had people who were dying for Jesus but were not quite baptized, so what do you do with that kind of a thing? And then you have a theology of um, baptism by blood, which is developed. And so in a similar way, when, um, when the new world was discovered, okay, I'm talking, you know, the area of Christopher Columbus, um, and when a lot of the missionaries were coming over um, after that time period, they discovered that there was a huge population of people in a land they never even knew existed that never even heard of Christ, never mind getting baptized. They never even heard of Jesus, of Christianity, of Judaism, nothing. So, uh, I'm talking about the Native Americans in this case. So when the Native Americans were discovered, it was kind of like, wow. For, for like over a thousand years after Christ, you guys lived and died. And not only did you not even know the necessity of baptism, you also did not even know that Jesus existed at all. So... What do you do with people like that? The church wondered. And so therefore, uh, because God is not a jerk, and God's not going to send you know, all the Native Americans to hell because they were ignorant of Christ, um, therefore we believe that a person may receive a baptismal grace of desire. Okay? This means that if a person is ignorant of Christ through no fault of their own, but they lead a life where they're following their conscience, they're leading a life where they're searching for truth, for the real truth in their life, then God may save them. Okay, I didn't say God will save them, but it is possible for such people to go to heaven. Um, because God's mercy is great. Okay, so technically you're supposed to have water baptism, but God is not going to, you know, punish you and deny you salvation if you did your best, if you were searching for truth and goodness in your life. And, and it wasn't your fault that you didn't know about Jesus. So it is supposed, therefore, that and only God knows this, that if these people would have, would have known the necessity of water baptism, then they would have gotten baptized. So had they known that baptism was necessary for salvation, okay, um, then they probably would have desired it. And so therefore, they, they were looking for, they were actually looking for God. Remember how I said that baptism of desire is for people who are searching for truth in their life, 
Well, who is the truth, guys? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so these people were searching for God. They were searching for God. And that is what, what baptism of desire is. It means that these are people who um, would have desired baptism had they known its necessity. And let me see, moving right along here. Um, that is... Um, that is the necessity of baptism. Um, I, I also would like to point out another scripture passage. I showed you the one that's really obvious where Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you are born again by water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to also notice that, especially in the Acts of the Apostles, we see many instances where baptism is tied to being saved. Baptism is tied to repentance. Take, for example, and by the way, I would encourage you to pause right now and maybe take your Bibles out as I go through these. I've already gone through John chapter 3, but let's go ahead and take a look at um, another, another passage. Let's go to Acts of the Apostles chapter 2. You can pause the video and get your Bible if you want. Um, in Acts chapter 2, we saw, as we learned last semester, Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit descends upon the, the apostles. They become filled with the Holy Spirit. And then right after that, the apostle Peter gives this rousing speech about what just happened. He gives this rousing speech about who Jesus is, that he is a son of God, that he died for our sins. And that, and, but he also rose from the dead. And uh, this speech that he, give, that he gave, and I would encourage you to read that speech, I think it's pretty powerful. You will find it in verses uh, 14 all the way to 35. Then verse 37 says this. Okay, there are thousands of people listening to this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Okay, Jesus, because he gave this really stirring speech. They were cut to the heart, and they asked Peter and the other apostles, what are we to do, my brothers? What are we to do? All these people were asking after witnessing this Pentecost, after seeing the apostles talking in different languages. Um, and Peter said to them in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? What do we do? What, what do we have to do? He says, be baptized. And there are many instances like this in, the, in Acts of the Apostles. Maybe you've come across it when you did your homework. It seems like every time somebody is baptized... Excuse me, take that back. Every time somebody comes to believing in Jesus in the presence of an apostle, the apostle always has them get baptized right away. There's this immediacy of baptism right away after a person becomes a believer. So, so clearly baptism is very important and it is in fact um, 
formally necessary for salvation. It is the normative way. And I've already discussed that you know, there can be exceptions that can be made. Um, actually, I would like to go back to baptism by desire for just a moment. Um, I talked about people who are ignorant of Christ. You know, there's a variety of reasons why a person could be ignorant of Christ. Take, for example, those Native Americans I was talking about. Uh, they, were, they had a, an, an Atlantic Ocean okay, separating them from the old world. Um, they had a really good excuse not to know about Christ, didn't they? But there are other reasons why a person might be ignorant through no fault of their own. For example, let's say that you are, let's say you're born in Saudi Arabia. Okay, Saudi Arabia is 100% Muslim. So ever since the time of your birth to the time that you're an adult, to the time that you die, all you hear is Islam. All you know is that um, there is but one God and Muhammad is his prophet. All you hear is how Islam is the only real, um, real religion, the only true faith. And also, you learn that Christianity is not. So therefore, because you're so deeply indoctrinated in this re repeated message, I think you could, even though you've heard of Christianity and you've heard of Christ, I mean, Muslims actually regard Jesus as one of the prophets. Um, but I think you could argue that such people might be ignorant of Christ the God. Okay, ignorant of the necessity of baptism through no fault of their own because of the environment that they're living in. Okay, this kind of thick fog of Islam that is surrounding them their entire lives. Possibly you can make such a case for um, a person, let's say a person is raised by an atheist family, okay, and they live in America, and they hear about Jesus and everything else, but they had this atheism so drilled into them their entire life that through no fault of their own, they just can't come to know Jesus, okay? Maybe I'm stretching here. Maybe I'm stretching here. But I'm just saying that it's possible, maybe, for Jesus in his own judgment, okay, to make it possible for such a person to enjoy eternal life with him. Um, because only God knows whether a person is truly ignorant of him through no fault of their own. Okay, that's, a, that's up to God to decide okay so we're gonna let God sort that part out but all we know is like I said God is not a jerk he's not gonna take the entire nation of Saudi Arabia on Judgment Day and just kind of cast everybody into hell all right um, so anyway back to back to our homework assignment here and let's see baptism Okay, let's talk about number six. Then um, let's talk about infant baptism here for a minute. There are lots of Christian denominations out there, and some of them believe in infant baptism, and some of them don't. Um, there are many Protestant groups that say that if you're baptized as a baby, it doesn't count. 
Why? Because you're a baby. Okay, what do you know about Jesus? Um, how could you possibly, as an infant, accept Jesus into your heart? Um, they would say, baptism is an act of, of faith. But how can you... A baby doesn't really have faith because the baby doesn't even know what's going on. All a baby does is eat, sleep, and poop. Um, and yet, Catholics do baptize babies. So, what is the reason why they do that? Well, first of all, if you're looking for scriptural, explicit scriptural evidence for infant baptism... Um, and by the way, I'm going to be using the word explicit and implicit during this presentation, so uh, you might want to consult a dictionary if you don't understand what those words mean. But if you're looking for an explicit biblical passage that says that infant baptism is okay, you're not going to find it. Okay, you're not going to find a passage where you know, a person brings a baby to the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle says, what a cute baby, I will baptize this baby. Okay, you're not going to find anything that explicit in there. On the other hand, you're also not going to find anything in the Bible that expressly and explicitly forbids infant baptism. So really, infant baptism, at least in the Bible, admittedly is... It's ambiguous. The biblical evidence is ambiguous. Consult a dictionary if you don't know what that means. So, um, however, I will say, and I'm sure your homework assignment has discovered this, there are a couple of passages in the Bible that would uh, kind of implicitly give support to infant baptism. And one of them I'm sure you've already seen. Um, and, and that is that in a few instances, we see either Peter or Paul, when he baptizes a person, it says that he baptized their entire family as well. So, um, we have, for example, in Acts chapter 16, you know, maybe pause and open up your Bibles again. And in Acts chapter 16, we have a story about how Paul was in jail and he was all shackled up in chains and, you know, it's the jailer's job to make sure that the, jail, that the people who were jailed never escape. But there was this big earthquake and the earthquake broke the chains and Paul was set free. Um, and so there were lots of prisoners there uh, who had the opportunity to escape at that time. Anyway, so the jailer woke up who was asleep during this time, and he was about to kill himself. Because back in those days, back in those days, if you were a jailer, and one of your prisoners escaped, then that was your life then according to the Roman government, uh, they, would, they would kill you. So anyway, he was about to kill himself, and Paul says, don't kill yourself because uh, we're, no one's escaped, we're all here. And then the jailer said in verse 30 of chapter, six, of chapter 16, he says, 
what must I do to be saved? And the Christians there, led by Paul, said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you and your household will be saved. And you'll see that just a little bit later, it says that Paul baptized not only him, but his entire household. His entire household. Now, what would a household consist of? Household will consist of you, your wife, um, your servants, and probably your children. And among the children, very possibly even infants. All right. So because we see more than one case in the Bible of entire households being baptized, it's not unreasonable to think that maybe among those um, children being baptized, there also may have been children who were not at the age of reason yet. Okay, mm -hmm. once again, this is not, you know, ironclad evidence, but then again, it does lend the, lend the possibility. But even more, I have an even better passage for you, and that would be, if you would all take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2. It might take you a while to find it. Okay, go to Colossians chapter 2. And here we have a passage in which Paul compares baptism with circumcision. All right? So let's take a look at chapter 2, verse 11. He says, in him, in Jesus you were also circumcised with a circumcision not administered by hand, by stripping off the carnal body with a circumcision of Christ. You were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So, first of all, you can clearly see that he's talking about circumcision and he's making a comparison to baptism. I think you guys know what circumcision is. Okay, if you don't, it is um, still fairly widely practiced here in the United States where you take the foreskin of a baby and you strip it off. Um, some people think there's a hygienic benefit to this. Um... I think it's 60% of Americans uh, still practice circumcision, and there are 40% who are uncut. Latest stat that I've seen. Now, for the Jews, if to, in order to become a Jew, you had to be circumcised. And they did this on the eighth day. Okay, even Jesus got circumcised. That's why on January 1st, is the feast of the circumcision of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he was, he was circumcised on that day. Circumcision back then for the Jews was the moment, that was like the mark that you belong to God. Okay? You are now a son of Abraham. So let me ask you a question. When those babies were circumcised, thereby becoming Jews, did they know that they were becoming Jews? No, they weren't. Would anybody dispute the fact that they became Jews today? The answer is no. Of course they became Jews upon that moment. So why is it so unreasonable to think 
that if a Jew could become a Jew by becoming circumcised as an infant, then why can't a Christian become a Christian? Why can't a person become a Christian by being baptized just because they don't know what is going on? All right? So I think it's a pretty reasonable argument. Um, so therefore, baptism is kind of like the new circumcision. It is the new way that we're... Earlier I talked about baptism being sort of like a branding. Okay? And because believe me, when you're circumcised, you really can't undo that. Okay? It's almost like a branding as well. You are branded for God. So it's kind of an invisible mark, but it's there. Okay? Um, I'd like to quickly add that back in those days, if you wanted to become... <laughs> there were some people... There were some people who wanted to become Christians and they actually got circumcised first because they thought that it was necessary as adults. Uh, fortunately, um, Paul and the apostles very early on in the church uh, told them, no, you no longer have to get circumcised. Baptism is enough. Okay, so that is, those are a couple of the arguments uh, from there. Okay, um, and that's going to be it for now. I hope you paid close attention. If you didn't, remember, you can always go back and, and listen again. I'm sure I must have said something um, that, you know, even Oscar Limon did not know. It's possible, you know. Uh, and so, therefore, uh, take notes along the way because I'm going to kill this podcast right before I randomly test you guys. And so, you know, don't take the test too late. I'm going to tell you when the test starts. You've got to be right there. All right, guys, that is all. Uh, stay safe and healthy, and who knows? Maybe I'll even see you the last week of school. You never know, my grandma used to say. <laughs>